Hey everybody, this is Cindy Fish. You are listening to the At His Feet podcast. I want to invite you today to set aside your whirlwind of busyness and mental to-do list to have a seat beside me at the feet of Jesus. Now let's pursue Him together. Thank you for listening. Hello, welcome to episode 29 of the podcast. Today I am excited we are getting back to the To Know Him series. Um, The topic today is from the story of Hosea and Gomer, the book of Hosea. The name is Ishi, and I will tell you all about it. I'm happy to have had the time to really dig in to the story and the scripture and just all that, you know, surrounds it. Uh, Many times on the road, I do not have a chance to really dig in to stories like this, like I did with this. Sometimes it's because we're in the middle of nowhere with horrible uh, Wi-Fi or horrible internet connection, and I just don't have the me time. So I'm at home for a couple days with the kids, and me time was available. So I've spent many hours last night, probably four or five hours, getting the notes together, digging into the Word and and all of it, you know, reading different commentaries, all this stuff, trying to compile this for you. And then uh, today, while the kids napped, I recorded the episode. And then tonight, while they went to sleep, I'm just doing this really quick intro and um, editing. So I hope you enjoy it. I am just thrilled that you're listening, thrilled that you're still listening, episode 29. And um, we'll go ahead and just get to it. everybody, this is Cindy Fish. You are listening to the At His Feet podcast. I want to invite you today to set aside your whirlwind of busyness and mental to-do list to have a seat beside me at the feet of Jesus. Now let's pursue Him together. Thank you for listening. We'll go ahead and get into the episode today. Our topic is Back to that To Know Him series, today the name is Ishi, I-S-H-I. That word means my husband. So this story is from, or this name comes up in the book of Hosea. The book of Hosea was likely written between 755 and 725 BC. A little backstory. Well, one, if you if you are familiar with the story of Hosea and Gomer. Um, I know probably a good bit of you have even read that book, Redeeming Love. It is, I don't know what category of uh, writing that falls under, but it is basically taking the story of Hosea and Gomer and it puts it in a different time period and obviously fills in the blank. Uh, It's a really fun read. It's one of the only fun reads that I've read in the last couple of years, but I really enjoyed it. And it really brought this story to life to me several years ago. But if, you, if you're familiar with the story of Hosea and Gomer, you know that God goes to a prophet, Hosea, a good man, and he tells him to marry a prostitute, marry this woman. God tells him, you know, basically, This is because that's the way that my people have been. So the whole book 
of Hosea, um, it's, well, it's filled with some history um, of the Israelites. It's also filled with prophecy. And then it's also filled with Hosea and Gomer's story, details of their story, their children's names, those kind of things. So it's all woven together and it's a little bit, uh, you have to really pay attention who's saying what. And so I'm actually not going to talk a whole lot about Hosea and Gomer. I am sorry, (laughs) but I'm going to talk about the love story of God and his people. So uh, a little bit of backstory of why, why did God ask this book to be written? Why did God ask Hosea, a prophet, you know, a just man to go through something so hard? Remember, if you remember, um, in an earlier episode, I talked about a king, Jeroboam. He ruled the northern Israel and he seemed like a promising king. So promising that God made him a great promise. In 1 Kings, uh, it says this, Then it will be that if you listen to all, this is God speaking to Jeroboam, then it, then it will be if you listen to all that I command you and walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight by observing my statutes and my commandments as my servant David did, then I will be with you and build you an enduring house as I built for David. And I will be with you and build you an enduring house as I built for David. And I will give Israel to you. What a promise. We know that God holds firm to his promises. And even in another episode, I talked about how for generations, God would say to the descendants of David, he would, they would be doing wrong and he would say, for my servants, my, for my servant David's sake, God would do things out of character, out of what was just and what was fair, just because he had made that covenant with David. So that's how great of a, a covenant of a promise that God was offering to Jeroboam, if only he would live right. So God saw something in him. This promise, though, was quickly canceled when. Jeroboam took bad counsel. We've, we talked about it and ended up setting up a pagan priesthood, a pagan feast and golden calves. If I am right, I believe that this story is in that episode, Matters of the Heart. I believe that's where it's at. Um, it's an earlier episode, maybe probably one of the first 10 episodes in that in that area. But anyway, he set up, Jeroboam sets up pagan temples in the north to prevent the people of Israel from having to travel to Judah at the time the kingdom was separated. All of the things that Jeroboam did, though, were for his own benefit. And it was all in turning away the people from God. I also read later that, or yesterday, I read it last night, that There wasn't a king after Jeroboam that was righteous. Many before him had led the the people astray, but there wasn't anyone that got it right after him. So he mirrored God's ways with the priesthood, the temples, and the feasts. He, He almost gave like this counterfeit duplicate of all the things that God's people were used to, but he just turned it to a pagan god. And nothing he did glorified our God. Because of this, and because the southern kingdom of Judah wasn't really doing that great either, God tells a prophet to marry a harlot. He wanted someone to understand how he felt. 
And that way, that someone could speak to God's people from a place of understanding. Hosea 1, verses 1 and 2. The word of the Lord that came unto Hosea, the son of Barry, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea, and the Lord said to Hosea, Go take unto thee a wife of whoredoms, and children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. So Hosea obeys. He marries Gomer. You know, the name Gomer actually means complete. I read in a commentary that they think that name complete was um, depicting that basically God's measure of, um, of mercy, of patience for his people had been completed. That measure of mercy that he had to give was fulfilled. And so he said, okay, I've had enough and I've got to do something and something's got to change. And so that's where he was led to, okay, I'm going to have someone marry a harlot, marry someone who's unfaithful. And then maybe then I can reach my people. Gomer and Hosea have three children together. I'm not going to get into their names. I think this episode is going to be long enough without me getting into their Uh, details of their story, but um, we will get into the prophecy. And why we're getting into the prophecy is because the prophecy affects us. The prophecy was spoken for us. It was spoken for the Israelites. It was a um, prophecy of like promise. This is what I'll do. But even unto us, even down through the generations, it applies to us today. And so that's why we're talking about that. So they have three children. They all have significant names, all this stuff. So after three children, Gomer leaves Hosea. And she commits adultery over and over as a prostitute. Hosea still loves her, still wants her to return. And at one point, he even goes out of the house into the city to find her. He paid the price of a slave and bought her back and loved her still. What a love. In the second chapter of Hosea, though, verse 13, God, this is God speaking. God explains, this is where we're getting into the prophecy. God explains Israel as one who went after other lovers, one who had already known him, but willfully left him for other loves, for other pursuits. As the story unfolds, we can see that today, this story, the whole point of it relates to every backslider and and even every saint that has gotten their priorities mixed up. Anytime, anytime that God is not first, our priorities are out of place. And before we even begin, I think we should search ourselves. Do I have God in his proper place? Have I placed any person, anything, any hobby? any job, any ministry, any relationship, any desire before the one true God. I'll rephrase that. Have I placed anything before my God? Because today he wants to get personal. Israel chose over and over to turn from God, or maybe worse, They chose to serve other gods while trying to kind of serve him too. 
In 2021, we are no better than they were in many ways. Gomer's story was just a type and shadow of the church. Then it was Israel, and today it's us, the bride of Christ, easily distracted and far too quickly lured away. So mostly today I I focus on this Hosea chapter 2. God starts by saying that Israel could no longer be considered his wife as she was adulterous. The relationship was completely broken with no sign of even sorrow or repentance on Israel's part. Verses 4 and 5 is written from Israel's perspective. It says this, For she said, I will go after my lovers, who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. What does that mean? Israel was justifying serving other gods, being unfaithful to our God, because there were benefits in serving those other gods. As a nation, they focused on all of the good that they were getting by idol worship. What are those things they were receiving? You know, food, drink, uh, wool and linen, so clothing. They were being provided with basic needs they felt because of their service and their idol worship. How quickly Israel forgot the trade that Moses made. Hebrews 11 and 24 and 25 references, it says, By faith, Moses, when he came of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter or to serve a pagan god, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. In Hosea's time, the Israelites forgot that sin's pleasures don't last. They didn't last then, and they don't last today. And maybe maybe you're listening, and you fall into a category of someone who's walked away. And, or maybe maybe you're looking and you're you're considering it. Maybe you're still going to church, but your eyes are pointed directly out the door, waiting for the moment when you can get out of the church. Please let me convince you. Whatever fun that you see out the doors of the church, please know that it comes with a price. I'll be honest and say that there were fun moments, inside jokes, laughter-filled nights in the world. I was always surrounded by people, but you know what accompanied them the longer I stayed in sin? Shame, bondage, anxiety so strong it made me sick, brokenness, emptiness, nothing good. The pleasure part of sin only lasts for a little while. Quickly it turns. Once it's got a hold of you, it turns. It is not worth it. Whatever freedom you might think that you feel in going and living however you want, doing whatever you want, it will not last. There is heartache. And more important, what's worse than being lost? Nothing, nothing. And nothing is worth being lost for. Hosea 2 6 through 13, uh, these verses shift back to God's voice. He promises judgment and punishment for Israel turning. I can easily, I can easily put the judgment into words with this scripture. Proverbs 14 and 12, this is KJV. 
There is a way which seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. That's the judgment. We can do, we're allowed to do whatever seems right to us, but it will not end in life. My favorite part, though, of this chapter, the part that I will go into depth on is restoration. This has to be my favorite thing about the nature of God because seeing someone receive the Holy Ghost for the first time is beautiful. It's wonderful, and it's my story. I've told it to you probably plenty of times. You know, someone comes in from sin having never known the love of God before, and God just pours out on them, and it's beautiful, and it's wonderful, but to me, there is nothing more beautiful, nothing more powerful, nothing more moving than watching God restore one who knew truth and walked away. It shows the depth of God's forgiveness and love towards His people, that even when we fail, He loves us still. Even when we knowingly betray Him, He forgives, and He draws us back to Him. Speaking of drawing, verse 14 and 15 says this, Therefore, behold, I will allure her, will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. I will give her vineyards from there in the valley of Achor as a door of hope. She shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. The wording here I love, allure, I will allure her. What does this word actually mean? Powerfully attract or charm or tempt. Is not that not the word uh, perfectly to describe how the devil just draws us to sin? The very action that drew Israel away from God is the same powerful pull that God uses to get his people back. So God says, I will allure her. I will bring her into the wilderness. So we'll pause. The wilderness. The wilderness was used by God to deliver Israel from the hands of wicked Egypt. What is Egypt but sin-filled? The wilderness was not a place of punishment. It never was, but it was a place of separation. The wilderness was also a place to solely rely on God. God provided every single need in the wilderness for the Israelites in the past. What a turn from earlier in this chapter when God pointed out how Israelites justified their turning to other gods because of what was provided for them. When God draws you to the wilderness, you have nothing else. You have no one else. God provides it all. And you learn to trust in Him. So restoration begins with God when He draws you out, when He allures you to Him. That's a drawing that you almost can't resist. And then He reminds you that He alone is your provider, that He alone supplies every need, and that He is a deliverer. So here, we're still on verse 14. There is so much, and I love this part of the chapter. God says, and I'll speak comfortably unto her. So in a moment where God should still be furious with us about our choices, 
He promises in this prophecy to speak comfortably to us. When God calls us back to him, he is tender with us. Tender. Is that not love? Not giving what is deserved. Verse 15. And I will give her her vineyards from thence and the valley of Acor for a door of hope. And I'm going to pause mid-verse. You know what the valley of Acor was? The prophecy is for the Israelites. So they understood all of these references. God is reaching back through their history and reminding them of moments and using them using what they already know to form and to explain what he wants to do for them. The Valley of Achor was a place of great pain for the Israelites. It was painful in their memories. They all knew what happened there. Immediately after victory in the battle of Jericho, one of the Israelites sinned and stole from God. Judgment for the sin was death for him. His name was Achan and death for his family. So the place was named the Valley of Achor. And if you want to go back and read that story, it's in Joshua chapter 6 and 7. The word Achor actually means trouble. So here God says, in restoration, he will turn the painful memories, the valley of trouble, to a door of hope. There is a trade-off when God restores, because you know He never does anything halfway. He allows us to trade our trouble for joy, our despair for hope, our painful memories for His restorative healing. I'm going to continue verse 15. It says this, And I will give her vineyards from thence in the valley of Achor for a door of hope. And here we'll, we'll add on to it. And she shall sing there as in the days of her youth and as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. The singing is, number one, the restored will be able to sing again, just like before the falling away. But also, number two, as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt The song that was mentioned in that moment when he's saying that, the day you came up out of Egypt, was a victory song. When the Israelites got to the other side of the Red Sea and were victorious, God had gotten rid of all their enemies. And Miriam, Moses' sister, led the women in song and dance. Restoration always allows us As we're restored to not only sing, but to dance or shout in victory. Don't you know that when you are in bondage, you can't even lift your hands like you want to? There is liberty. There is freedom in dancing and shouting unto the Lord. And that is a part of restoration. Verse 16, and here our name finally comes in. Here's the complete shift in mindset that is required for the restored person to stay restored. And it shall be at that day, saith the Lord, that thou shalt call me Ishi and shall no more call me Baali. The change in this back and forth mentality, the change in us leaving God over and over is the way that we see him. 
a shift in perspective was crucial for Israel. And it's crucial for us even in today's world. What I know is this. Sometimes it takes affliction, trouble, just total sin for us to come full circle back to God. The love that He shows is so pure. Romans 2 and 34 reminds us that it's His kindness that brings us to repentance. The love that He shows to me and to you should give him a name change in our eyes. No more calling him Baali, which means my master. This was a common word that they would use. Both Ishi and Baali would be a term that a woman could call her husband. But how close does that sound to Baal? Really, uh, it's the same spelling. Baali is B-A-A-L-I, and Baal is B-A-A-L. One of the very gods that the Israelites were serving. One of the very gods that pushed our God to speak to Hosea in the first place. His name changed to us, must change to Ishi, meaning my husband. When I first had these notes, I hadn't actually gotten way into what Ishi meant, and I thought it just meant husband. But to me, the meaning my husband makes it that much personal and that much more powerful to me. When God visits us, when He comes to us, we are not just one out of billions that He has spoken to, but it's one-on-one and no one else matters. My, my husband. Who loves deeper than a husband? Marriage relationship is not self-seeking. It is equal give and take. It is not one of duty like master. That's what that Baali meant. My master. It is a relationship of choice and deep-rooted bonds. I mean, what did Adam say of Eve? as they were the first marriage. Genesis 2 and 23, And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. I'm going to read that name change verse to you again. It's verse 16. This is Hosea chapter 2 and 16. And it shall be at that day, saith the Lord, that thou shalt call me Ishi, and shall no more call me Baali. And calling God Baali, this was equating our God, the one true God, the living, breathing God, to all of the other little G powerless gods. When we get to a place of calling him master, a place where we see the things that he asks of us as a checklist rather than a love relationship, we are reducing him to the same power as whatever other idols that we have made in our lives. What's an idol today? We know what it was then. It was golden images and praying to Baal and it was the high places and the groves and all these things, right? But, but what is it today? For some, it's fitness. 
For others, it's vanity. For some, it's fashion. For some, it's addiction. For many, today, it's the approval we get via social media. Whatever it is, though, our God has no comparison. So we'll move on to verse 17. This really explains another reason why that name, Baali, was not okay. Because it was a reminder. Using that name at all, Baali, was a reminder of the pagan god Baal. Verse 17 says, For I will take away the names of Balaam out of her mouth, and they shall no more be remembered by their name. When he takes the names of Balaam out of her mouth, this is spelled B-A-A-L-I-M. I didn't look up the pronunciation on this one. I forgot. Um, but he allows us to be restored to a point where we no longer call on other gods. That may sound impossible for you, but it is truly part of that complete and total restoration where he removes almost the memory or the desire or even the thought to call on something other than him. Then after all of that, all of the restoration, all of the promises, all of what he'll do, God says this, this is verse 19 and 20. And I will betroth them unto me forever. Yea, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercies. I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness and thou shalt know the Lord. Betroth, Mary. God allows us to bind to him in righteousness, in judgment, in loving kindness, in his mercy, and in faithfulness. I want all those things. It is possible for the fallen away to come back, be restored, and live faithfully for God. When we get the name change, when we, when we no longer see him as my master and we see him as my husband, when it's personal, it's not one of duty, but it's one of relationship. It is very easy to live faithfully for God. It's no more going in and out. It's where we can stay and we can live for him. The very last part of verse 20 ties perfectly to our series. I'll repeat it. It says this, And thou shalt know the Lord. Don't you just long to know Him? So what's the point today? We must see Him in love. Yes, He's a judge. Yes, He's a mighty King who has never once lost. Yes, He is Fill in the blank with any tough attribute of God that you know, but he is also tender. He is a lover wanting us to draw near to him in intimacy. And isn't that what we've talked about from the very beginning of the podcast is God just desires relationship. That intimacy, Jesus just wants us to get close He wants to share secrets with us and for us to trust Him enough to give Him access to all of us. 
and for us to be faithful to Him and Him only. God made it clear in the very beginning when He gave Moses the Ten Commandments, Exodus 34 and 14, For thou shalt worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name, we're talking names in this podcast, right? Whose name is Jealous. He is a jealous God. God is not a master. He is not a controller. He is the bridegroom. He is Ishi. Not just husband, but that literally means my husband. And God wanted to make it personal for us. One more thing. As his bride, I want to be ready when he comes for me. Don't you? There's no such thing as running late to this wedding. There's no such thing as running late. There's not extra time, but when He comes, we have to be ready or else we won't make it to heaven. That is plain and simple. We have to be ready. Isaiah 54 and 5, this is the ESV, says this, For your Maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is His name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the God of of the whole earth he is called. Revelation 19 talks about how the bride has made herself ready. How do we make ourselves ready? We must be full of oil. What is the oil? We must be full of the Holy Ghost. The parable of the ten virgins in Matthew chapter 35. I encourage you, go read it. If you're not familiar with the passage, there were five wise and five foolish. The parable says that all were virgins, so all were pure, all lived righteously, all were ready. They were even in their dresses. They had the dress right. They had the outside right. And they looked to the eye, they looked like they were ready. But the bridegroom came back in a moment where they weren't expecting it. Five of the soon-to-be brides, they were ready. They had been ready. They had lived their life waiting. Five of them, though, didn't have enough oil. They ran out. Five of the soon-to-be brides brought not only enough oil, but brought extra. Just in case it took longer. Just in case he came in a moment where they were almost empty. They had more oil. They, They were prepared. The five who were not full of oil were denied entrance to the marriage feast. Oil is commonly, very commonly, a symbol of the Holy Ghost. And as the bride of Christ, we've got to be ready. We don't know when when He'll come back. But we do know that He is coming. Don't be fooled into thinking you might have your whole life to live. You may not. He might come right now. He might come tomorrow. We don't know. No man knows the day or the hour, right? We don't know when he's coming, but he is coming. Don't fall asleep. Don't, don't, don't get caught off guard by his coming, but let's be ready. We all have to be ready and we have to stay full of the Holy Ghost. That means not waiting for Sunday or midweek service to be refilled with his spirit, but 
every day as part of that intimate relationship that God already desires. Let's make it a point to let God refill us afresh in our daily devotion and prayer time. It doesn't have to look picture perfect with no distractions. I have two little kids. I understand sometimes prayer time is them climbing over me. Sometimes prayer time is Ezra interrupting me 50 times with a question about what letter makes what sound right now. I mean, but I'm still talking to the Lord. And I don't always get it right. And and when I when I'm when I feel like, man, God, like I have not gotten alone with you. I just get it right. I don't beat myself over up over it. I just say, okay, I've got to get this right. And I say, God, I'm sorry. Here I am again. You know, I come to you again. And that's what we have to do. Whenever you find the time, wherever you can squeeze it in, if you can schedule it, awesome. Schedule it. It makes it to where it will happen. But also, if you fail on your schedule and it messes up, do it anyway. It doesn't have to be perfect. We must find the time to get alone with Jesus. Ishi, my husband. What a beautiful story that we've talked about today of restoration. If you're in need of restoration and you've listened, I encourage you to get it right and let God do His His perfect work in you. He still has a plan. You heard it. I mean... What what bigger picture do you need? What more dramatic picture do you need than a whole nation being considered and called a prostitute, a harlot? Yet he still said, come back. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. I don't care who you've been with. I don't care what you've taken part in. You know, the acts, a lot of the acts of some of the 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 pagan gods, these pagan rituals, they were gruesome. Some were bloody. Some included children's sacrifice. Some included uh, just horrible sexual acts. Like the things that these people would do when they were serving these pagan gods were so far out there. Don't you remember that story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal? These people trying to get their God to hear them, their their pagan God, you know what they were doing? They were cutting themselves. They had done all these things just to get their God's attention, like crazy things that they would do in trying to serve these other gods. But God, you know what he said? He said, I don't care. I don't care what you've been through. I don't care what you've done. It doesn't matter to me. God God will forgive it all. That's what he was saying. He was saying, we know that, right? When, when we come to him and we repent, he forgives and he forgets. The Valley of Acor, for a door of hope, he doesn't even just forget himself, but he gives us a replacement for the pain, for the valley of pain, for the valley of trouble. He gives us hope. He can rewrite your story if you need him to. What a God. What a loving God. I have about three more in the series that we will do. Every one of them, maybe it's because I'm in such need of His love, but every one of the ones that I'm going to do this next little bit 
are so focused on his love towards us. I'm going to do the one of um, Father um, Abba, right? Where uh, it mainly circles around the prodigal son story. What is that? But forgiveness and love. Maybe I am just in desperate need of it. Maybe I need to be reminded how much he cares for me. And maybe you do too. So I hope you'll stick along. I hope you will continue to listen and come on this journey with me. If um, if you do Instagram, I will, as I'm doing each of these, I'll just post a sneak peek and let you know what's coming up. Maybe that'd be a cool way for you to kind of dig into the story yourself and so that when you come listen, you will be prepared. But um, on Instagram, I'm just under my name. It's just cindy.e.fish. So if you if you want those little sneak peeks and those little updates and stuff, uh, feel free to come and follow. And that way you'll be up to date and on track of what's going on and when. Also, I haven't asked in a little bit, but um, if you have never reviewed the podcast and you've been listening and you've been faithful in listening, or maybe you just started listening, whatever, if you if you like it and you're listening, feel free. Go leave a review. It doesn't have to be wordy or lengthy, and it doesn't have to be um, perfect. If there's criticism in it, I'm all for it. I'll take it, whatever you have to say about it. But um, I'd love for you to go and leave a review, rate the podcast. What that does is when people search podcasts, it just makes it the more reviews, it makes it more likely to pop up. And that is if you listen on Apple Podcasts. There's no way to review on Spotify. Anyways, I've said plenty for today. Thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you next time.